hey, guess what? There are live dates for the podcast, and I'm going to announce them right now. By the way, welcome to the show. I thought I'd just kick in with an itinerary. It's very impersonal to do it that way. I should have said, hello, how are you? Things going okay? You doing all right? Everything going okay at school? Your job is going smoothly? People are finding you agreeable and uh, fun to be around? All right, good. Now, back to the tour dates. Here's the great thing about these tour dates. They're really close by for me. They're about 10 minutes from my house. There's nothing more attractive than a live date which requires very little travel. And that's exactly what these dates are. So I'm very excited that it's a quick car ride and boom, we're on. So when and where is this happening? Stereo Embers, the podcast, will be live at a great good place for books in Oakland, California on March 15th. I'll be in conversation with author Margaret Lee to talk with her about her new book, A Starry Field. And then on May 1st, that's a long way away from the March 15th date. We got to fill in the gaps there. Well, anyway, May 1st, great good place for books. I'll be in conversation with author Jeff Zentner for his book, Colton Gentry's Third Act. You might know Jeff as a YA writer. Well, not anymore. This is his first adult novel. All right, so there you go. March 15th, Margaret Lee. May 1st, Jeff Zentner. Should be fun. Two really good conversations with two excellent authors. So put it on your calendar. Come on by. Say hello. There's always refreshments. You know, if you're like, this was kind of a dull night. Hey, how about some free wine? That'll always, that'll always take the sting out of a wasted evening. But it won't be a wasted evening. Why am I even suggesting that could happen? We're going to have some fun. So be there. A great good place for books in Oakland. All right? Okay. Let's get to the show. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Shane O'Mara wore mascara. Snarsky Circus Lindy Band, a band which features my guest today on the program, Lindy Morrison. And if you're thinking, wait a second, is she the Lindy in the Snarsky Circus Lindy Band? Indeed, she is. Let me tell you a little bit about Lindy Morrison, the Snarsky Circus Lindy Band, and so much more. All right, so backing up for just a second, let's not be ridiculous. It's impossible to tell you a little bit about Lindy Morrison because there's so much to tell. But for the sake of time, I'll condense what I can about this remarkable woman. Just keep in mind, this is a partial and very expurgated description of all her accomplishments. 
my suggestion, don't do this now, but after the podcast, is read the book My Rock and Roll Friend by Everything But the Girls, Tracy Thorne, who writes about her friendship with Morrison while also offering a contextual explanation about why she's such an important musician, drummer, and artist. All right, so the Sydney-born Lindy Morrison played in the all-female Aussie punk band Zero before joining the Go-Betweens in 1980. She sang and played drums with the Go-Betweens on that classic run of albums that lasted until 1989, playing on albums like Tallulah, Spring Hill Fair, and 16 Lovers Lane. In addition to being a drummer, Morrison is an activist, a social worker, and a humanitarian. She's worked on behalf of Aboriginal rights, women's rights, and the rights of musicians with mild intellectual disabilities. And I want to add that her extensive writing about gender issues in the music industry is positively peerless. I know I'm skipping around a lot here, but her resume has so many highlights, it's impossible to weed through them all. She was awarded the Order of Australia Medal for services as a performer and advocate. And back in 2007, she was appointed as an honorary lifetime member of the Music Council of Australia for her services assisting community music initiatives. So as a musician, she's a rock star. Yes, of course she is. But she's also a rock star as a person because she cares about people. Musically, she's collaborated with everyone from Nikki Sudden to Nick Cave, and currently she's playing with Alex the Astronaut and the Snarsky Circus Lindy Band with Rob Snarsky of the Black Eyed Susans. As a drummer, Morrison is subtle and smart. Her sneaky percussive fills roll with rhythmic grace and steady muscle. She's awesome. And she's a blast to talk to. You're going to love her. So here you go. Me and Lindy Morrison having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. bands really if I was playing with them you know if they were supporting us um and uh the stems did a couple of times that's why I knew the birthday party so well and uh because we played with them so many times and the laughing clowns and bands like that and Aztec camera and um uh, uh orange juice and the marine girls you know bands like that from that era how were Aztec camera how were Aztec Camera? Yeah. The most fantastic band in the world. Uh, Roddy was just such a brilliant songwriter and guitarist. The songs were so poppy. The band was so great. And uh, I just loved everything he put out those first couple of albums. So just wonderful. I loved uh, watching him play live. He was such a beautiful boy. Beautiful. Uh, I think he's a bit of a recluse now. He was so young. I mean, he was he was probably a teenager at that Yeah, he time. was. 16, 17. Yeah. I got into them when I was 15 and I thought this guy's a year older than me and he's he's so much um, more accomplished than I'll ever be. Well, in in a particular thing, in a specific skill, wasn't accomplished perhaps in other areas. Yeah, well, that one thing he does is pretty good. Um, orange juice must have been pretty amazing as well. Oh, God. The orange juice were fantastic. Edwin was 
just great. And uh, Dave McClymont on bass and uh, they, they were a lovely band. So much fun to hang out with those bands. Really was fun those early days playing when we first came over to London. Because of course, Rob and Grant had met them when they went over before I joined the band. So remember they went over um, in eight, 1980 uh, and then um, went over and, to, and recorded that single with Postcard, I Need Two Heads. Um, and uh, that song, He's So Cold You Can Skate, such a great line, He's So Cold You Can Skate On His Skin. What a great line. Um, yeah. yeah, so they went over and, and met up with the Postcard people and then they came back and picked me up. So when you played with bands like Aztec Camera or Orange Shoes, would you get a chance to hang out with them afterwards and talk to them? We, we hung out all the time. Like, you know, Roddy would come over would come over to where we lived in Fulham Palace Road at that time. I remember making him a really bad onion soup. But, you know, luckily for me, he didn't have any um, sophistication of taste then and probably thought it was great. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, and, um, you know, it, it, we'd hang out with Edwin and David. David... Um, McClymont used to take my and Robert's uh, flat, attic flat that we had when we'd go on tour, he'd move in. And uh, Dave McClymont's very, very um, clean. And he would remove all the dust from the place and then we'd come back to this totally clean flat. <laughs> uh, you know, we were also hanging out with the Mooders. You know, that was Dave Graney and um uh Dave Brainy and Claire Moore. That was really fun for me. Uh yeah, it was a uh, you know, I was obviously hanging out with Tracy Thorne after I'd met her. It was like about 83 though, I think. Uh and Ben in those early days. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty good time. And Robert told me that the problem with playing with the birthday party was if they opened for you because they were so spellbinding. I can't remember them opening for us, but he, he has a much better memory than me. Um, although I have not ever read his book. Uh, so, um, you know, my memory would be revised if I read the book, I guess. Um, but no, I mean, well, that's true. They were absolutely, you know, they were like one animal. With, with many arms crawling around the stage. They were absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Great band, very loud and, uh, you know, absolutely vibrant and uh, it, you totally sucked into them. But, yeah, so, well, it would have been ridiculous us following them. We were so fragile. By comparison, right? <laughs> well, we're pretty fragile in those early days. Those, Send me a lullaby before Hollywood days. That was pretty fragile music. I imagine that you and Tracy Thorne of Everything But The Girl are very much in touch and, and you know, close friends. Are you good at keeping in touch with other people as well? Are you, are you good in that way? So, uh, yes, and I've been going over to England. Uh, I'm about to go for the third time in April um, because I'm playing with a band called, the, I recorded and I'm playing with a band called The Girl with the Replaceable Head, which used to be Hurrah. And um, I always see her. We always have a night out. She's She likes a big night out. I mean, she really does like a big night out. In fact, 
that April 22, I had a night out with her and I lost my mobile. I got so drunk. And that had very serious repercussions because um, all my cards and everything are in my phone. My life is in my phone. And um, so when you're trying to uh, contact and also trying to contact the Australian bank and all that, and they're sending you messages to your phone to confirm who you are when you don't have the phone. So that was really messy. It's still the same that I've got the everything in my phone, but now I'm much more careful when I'm with Tracy not to get drunk. In fact, last time, last year we went to lunch, um, which is a little bit more controlled. She likes to go to clubs. She's a member of a number of clubs in um, that Piccadilly Soho area, or maybe just one club, or, but it's a very, very lovely club. I'm not exactly a club person, I'm a bit old. But she, what I love about her is that she, when you listen to the early stuff, it's like, it's almost like she was born fully formed and her voice, everything was, it was all there. Um, I mean, she just kept getting better and better, but I mean, she started off brilliant. So it's pretty incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, her voice, it, it, her voice is so unique and uh, coupled with her incredible intelligence. So, uh, I mean, that, that's, that, that's what makes her, you know, so, so special. And, uh, um, you know, I, she's given up playing live, as, as you'd be aware, because of, of stage fright. And in a way, that, that works very well for her, I think, because it's given her a chance to really, you know, think about other things in her life. And she raised three children, of course, with Ben. Ben's book is brilliant. The book Patient is absolutely just a riveting read. Really? Do you know I haven't read it? Oh, it's... Oof. Really, oh, I, I might read that then. Uh, I'll, I'll get that um, now that you've mentioned it. Yeah, yeah it's I'm just about to start a new book, actually. Oh, are you are you in need right now? You're like you're you finished a book. And you're in need of another one. I, exactly. I just read uh, F uh, Funda's um, uh, Funda's Wifedom. Do you know that? I know the book, but I have not read it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I I decided not to read it because everyone I knew was reading, and they were all going on and on about it and 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 I hate biopics I, I I loathe them I would never watch a biopic um and I, I was thinking you know I knew where, where this book was going to go right I knew exactly what it was going to do and I was dead right that's what it does mm. but um it's brilliant within it you know um her, uh, the, the way she it's all the research she did uh she had just so much research and then she's comparing how bio the biographers talk about Eileen. In a way, it's a bit like um, Tracy's book on me. Um, you know, it's a bit like that in a way, except Funda's book is a lot bigger, you know, and a lot, a lot, a lot of work going, going into it. Not that Tracy didn't do a lot of work, but Tracy really only covered a certain amount of time. Well, I suppose she only, but, um, Eileen died uh, young. So, but yeah, I've just finished that. And I, I read a, a by an autobiography of an artist down here called Deborah Conway. I just finished that. And I, I've got a um, a book by Toll, uh, the Cures drummer, Toll, what's his name? Lowell. Um, oh, Tollhurst? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. found it in a second hand bookstore. So I'm just about to start that too. 
But I might get the patient, I might see if that, that's an audio book, the patient, and listen to it because I really like listening to books um, when I'm doing driving or, um, or, or housework. It encourages me to do more housework. Yeah, there is something about that 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 sort of like okay, you you do the narration and I'll do the housework. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought Tracy's book on you was amazing, and I loved. I remember telling someone this is the best book about music and friendship since Kristen Hirsch's Rat Girl. Have you read that one? No. Oh, I think you should read that. I think you'd love it. What's it called? Rat Girl. It's called Rat Girl by Kristen Hirsch from Throwing Muses, and. Yeah. That's a, it is just a phenomenal read. Really? Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, that and on my bookshelf is Tracy's book and Kristen's next to each other. I keep them next to each other. And um, I loved Robert's book too. You just have didn't get around to reading that one. Is it kind of too too close to home? It's there behind me in the in the music section. Um, oh, it's there. Um, but no, I don't want to read it. Be, I'll tell you why, because every time I do an interview, uh, you haven't done it yet, but you probably bet it's in your list of questions. Every time I do an interview, someone will say, now, Robert said in his book this. <laughs> and I'll go, that didn't happen. I didn't act like that. That was not true. And it hurts. Now, I don't want to read a book where I know what my contribution was. I know what our love affair was like. I know what I added. I know what my relationship with Grant was like. I know all that. And I'm not going to read. What is that? That's my my cat who wants to say oh, hello. Oh, to you. Okay. Oh, that's all right. I, um, I know. I know. You know. I know. I don't want to. I just don't want to get. Robert and I are in a good place now, and if I get angry, we will not be in a good place. So it's mm. better that I don't read it. Yeah, I don't remember anything like that. I wasn't going to ask any questions about that, but I don't remember that as any kind of thing. But um, I just remember him talking about other kinds of music, and I thought it was really interesting that he's so on brand about the Velvet Underground and all that stuff. But you know, it's a that's his book. But um, I was just curious of what your approach was to it. But well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it's funny because people read books. Like I say to people about Tracy's book, you know, it's salacious in parts, and people go. Oh, I, I don't remember that, or because they've read it only for the dates and the music and the times, you know, to fit it into their history of music. It just someone with who's like into the history of music is reading it for a completely different reason to so to say someone who's looking at female relationships. For me, as a person in this world, I'm interested in being a better version of myself, a better friend, a better listener, a better whatever, and hearing like with you and Tracy's relationship and the friendships that you've carried, it, it must say a lot about you that you can maintain friendships in a, what is a really competitive business, um, I would imagine. Well, you know, there are so there were so few women in music uh, in, in the industry. I mean, it's really changed now, but there were so few of us that you clung to the, you know, intelligent ones who, were, were feminists and um uh and you know you didn't let them go uh and you know you can't describe to anyone what we went through uh you know I don't talk about it I don't like to talk about it anymore I spoke a lot about it when I was younger but I won't talk about it now and you know so only only we understand how we were treated and um you know 
so so it, may, it means you've got a, a common bond yeah you've been through something that you can only you can really relate to yeah yeah that's right it was hardly a war though yeah. <laughs> let's get things in perspective yeah yeah I know war metaphors are always they always feel they're really misplaced <laughs> you know <laughs> um how in terms of your relationship to your instrument how has that changed you know in terms of or deepened through the years um how would you describe you know your approach to drumming now versus 35 40 years ago 30 or 40 years ago i was um always concentrating on the backbeats um, you know, what was being presented to me, for instance, in the go-betweens and in zero, zero was always writing bizarre time signatures too, uh, but in the go-betweens were, were bizarre time signatures. So I was always concentrating on the backbeats um, and thinking about making the most interesting ones I could make. So that's a different sort of practice to, oh, and then as, as, as we move forward and, um, I was competing with drum machines and having to play with click tracks. I spent a lot of time learning to play to a click track. So I took lessons from a New York drummer who played with um, um, uh, look, so like so many of those early American um, artists. Um, his name was Gary Chester, and I used to send um, tape cassette tapes. We'd send cassette tapes back and forth. And nice cat though, wow. um, yeah, really nice cat. Uh, and uh, so I was spending again doing backbeats, right? Uh, backbeats, a hi hat, snare, that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, but now all I, I I practice every second day on a kit. I'm actually um, beginning to develop a, a, a situation where I'm more comfortable on the drums than I am in real life my body's um, molding itself in the position of a drummer and um, I'm beginning to have some problems walking <laughs> which is to do with uh, the use of my feet but it doesn't stop me at all but I get on the drums every second day and all I do is work around the toms so it's just that's completely different I don't do backbeats at all I never touch them because I've got as I'm never going to be a great drummer because I started too late. I, but music is my life. But and I know how I improve with practice. You know, I just know that. And um, I just work around uh, working out solos or uh, working out how to do single beats against double beats. So one hand playing a single beat, a single note, and the uh, other hand doing a double, double, and. Um, uh, so I, I, mixing up singles and doubles all around the kit. And uh, the other thing is I get a lot of gigs. So I do have to practice to people's songs. Um, for instance, with the Snarsky Circus Lindy Band, which is my present gig, um, we don't rehearse because the whole band lives in Melbourne. So mm. I, I'm rehearsing on my own. I don't need to anymore because we're, we're just on the road all the time. But um, or the girl with the replaceable head, you know, they sent me demos. I had to learn them, and and then I flew out last April. I flew to Newcastle and recorded with them. But it's other gigs as well, 
I've, ju I've just been, been offered another gig, which is, um, it's not original music, it's doing covers. It's a show actually, and I'd love to do it, but there's like 20 tunes to learn. It's very, very time consuming. Um, even just scoring it really that you know it's time consuming so I, I've got to really think about whether I've got time to do it um, and um, yeah so uh, I guess I, I'm just concentrating on going around the kit um, I, I, I've got rid of the crash symbol I don't use that anymore I don't mm. like crash symbols I just hate them they just they're only they're like exclamation marks that, that, that ruin the thing so I, I've only got one ride and uh, the hi-hat and um, and I, I've been experimenting with them um, really long fills when we play live so a whole bar of a fill it, it, it's preposterous and it's outrageous actually and it's amazing that Rob Snarsky lets me do it and I don't do it all the time only in certain songs and sometimes they don't work um, you know, as they should, but I don't care. Like, I just, you know, I just want to do stuff that's unusual. Uh, yeah. The other night at a gig, we we had a go at playing a song that we had not even rehearsed, but I'd worked out a drum beat and he, you know, to, to a recording he sent me. It was stupid, really. But anyway, it broke down halfway through I mean, I told the audience, I said, this is what we're doing. We're going to do this. We just want to do it. And we did it. And I broke down. You know, I couldn't hold the beat, you know. Mm. And um, and I just had to say, okay, well, that's what happens, you know. We're, we, I, I, think, I think it's okay to do that, you know, unless you're doing a big show, like in a concert hall. I mean, well, that's completely different. You're just going to play safe. But if you're playing clubs... And you've got a, a, an audience, half the room, you know, has been following you since you were, you know, following me since I joined the go-between. So, yeah, they, they, they know. I'm convinced if I was in the audience, I never would have go, well, that didn't work. For, to my ear, it would probably sound great. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what does it mean when it doesn't work? What does it sound like to you when it, do, when it doesn't? You don't I feel... Well, if a fill doesn't work, you might, um, uh, it just might be out of time. It might, mm. might finish on time, but it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't finish on time because you've just got to get back to the one at the right. You've got to get back to the one. So, you know, you, you, you could, you, you, you just got to land on the one or even the two um, of the next bar. So I'm pretty good at doing that because I, I've, I've spent so much time. You know, I spent the last three years just playing around the toms. So they're getting quite complicated now, what, what I'm doing. And, and uh, uh, yeah. To, like, my ear, not a musician, um, but I probably, I probably wouldn't know. You know, you might, you'll recover yeah. it. Yeah. And you, you're like, oh, that happened. And, and I would just be like, Lindy's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, there is a certain amount of showing off with it but uh, you know I, I've, I've said to Rob people want to see a bit of that they want to see something different they you know they come to see me play with you because they want to see just something 
explosive at some time, you know, something really dynamic, something different that they haven't seen before, you know, and uh, I'm prepared to try that. I'm, I'm quite happy to try it. You said something really interesting. I'm a writer and I always feel when I'm writing, I feel much better as a writer than I do as a person in the world. I think I'm smarter. I'm more, I just think everything's better when I'm writing. When I'm back to my, to not writing, I'm kind of an idiot. You know, I, I just, I think I just fumble along. Um, what you were saying is that you almost feel more comfortable now as a drummer than as a person. Yeah, which is... but that, that, I do feel more comfortable as a drummer. I, it's so confusing. You know, I, I'm extraordinarily happy when I'm driving to my stu uh, a studio that I hire in, uh, in, in Marrickville, which is in Sydney. And, you know, I'm really happy driving to, I'm really happy getting out. There's always a kit there and chatting to the, the men who run it and setting up. I always listen to something while I'm setting up. It doesn't take long. And then I'll play nonstop for um, definitely an hour, but I mean, it used to be three hours, but um, you know, wear and tear is a real thing for me now. Um, so I have to be careful. So uh, I do an hour to 90 minutes every second day, but it's nonstop. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have a break and go and have a cup of tea or anything. And, you know, and then I go home and, uh, but I feel like my body's been shaped into the drums, you know, like my, particularly my legs, like, I feel like my feet are, are now turning in, like, so as as you do play on the kick drum and the hi-hat, you know, that they're turning in. <laughs> I'm becoming, I, if there was a Dali painting of me, I, I, I'd be, you know, this stretched elastic object coming, the drums of me would be one, one thing. I can see it. <laughs> You'd be should... part woman, part drums. <laughs> yeah. I should get someone to do a portrait and they can enter it in the Archibald, which is our big portrait prize here that everybody wants to be in. <laughs> it's a brilliant image. I mean, it's so, just to even think about it is um, pretty arresting. <laughs> That's so interesting that you feel the same. Like, I love that. That's great because I, I, I was wondering, you know, I think about this stuff now, you know, age is a, age is a bummer physically, but it's not a bummer mentally you know you, 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 you you're much you're much better uh intellectually or you may have memory lapses like when I was trying to remember who Gary Chester played with and I know so well I know all, all, all his stuff and I couldn't think of it and I still can't and I can't stand up and go to the book because in fact I'm sitting here in the t stems t-shirt and just a and just a, um, a pair of pants because um, it's 35 degrees or something today. It being Australia Day, by the way. And, oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's very, very warm. And um, I didn't think I'd have a reason to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Australia Day is is a very American question. That means... Oh, gee. Um, that's the day, January 26th. Well, they've changed it a few times. It's the day when they uh, planted the flag, I think, when they arrived, um, the uh, boat from um, um, the boat from England, and um, 
the uh, Indigenous people here want the date changed. They call it Invasion Day, and they've got every right to call it Invasion Day. We were invaded that day. They were invaded that day, and they and their culture destroyed. Uh, they want it, and so it's very, very. It's so controversial every year. It's a really big deal about Australia Day, and uh, yeah. We have a similar version of that here with Thanksgiving, where. The Americans decimated the new Americans, decimated the Native Americans, culture, land, and and uh, psyche, um, and then we celebrate that, which is like very uncomfortable. <laughs> not, is, not there, is, there, is there a push to change the date? That hasn't come up, but I imagine. I wonder. I wonder if it might trend towards that way. I, I hope it does. It's a very. It's a very weird. We, we have a really big push to 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 change the date from you know the the, the indigenous community and the progressive left um and uh Woolworths is one of our major chains of food here and this year they said oh we're not going to sell um uh, australia day paraphernalia this year it's a, a not only is it a commercial decision it's also a decision because people are, are confused about australia day and our opposition, which is the Conservatives here, because we have a Labor Party in power in Australia, they went nuts. You know, everybody should stop shopping for Woolworths. Woolworths is the worst. They're so un-Australian. You know, it was all like that. It's been all like that. Like, you just go, God, get a grip. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. America, I'm sure American politics is... Uh, is also has we have our cringeworthy moments that you're observing from abroad. Oh yeah. Oh fuck, it's horrible there. Just yeah. unbelievable. It's just unbelievable that you can't get a decent person to stand for either parties. It's just it's just such a mind fuck, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's problem. some sleepless nights over the next uh eight or nine months, that's for sure. Such, a, such extraordinary intelligence in the United States. Like extraordinary intelligence from so many people and and yet so 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 much you know idiocy occurs idiocy and division and hostility it's turning yeah. into a real hostile environment so it's no it's very it's very sketchy um you were talking about getting older and, and i've i'm i'm on that train as well and i think preservation becomes a huge component of life in a way that never really thought about it before but you know physically trying to preserve yourself trying to economize what you do being smart about it um i love what you're talking about with your with your relationship to the drums how it's morphed into this sort of like it's almost like it's um you know it's become such a deep part of you um and also the idea that you might not have seen that coming so it must have been kind of a pleasant surprise to see to have that relationship become so intimate Yes, well, see, I was, I was off the drums for an, a, a lot of years. I had my daughter in '92, and um, her father and I didn't live together, but we were very good friends, and he lived down the road. So I did get a lot of help. You know, I was not a single mother, and he, he would move in. But I, to make money, I was in Cleopatra Wong then with Amanda, but we didn't. We both had children. We didn't survive that. It was impossible. Tried to take kids onto it, you know, leaving them. It just was desperate, you know. I, 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 I even hate to talk about it, frankly, because 
you know, I left Lucinda when she was nine months, you know, I still think about that. But anyway, um, so um, I had to make money. So I moved into community music and I directed shows all around Australia, like drum pageants um, in the Dandenongs outside of Melbourne or uh, in Rockhampton on, a, on, on, a, on the river. And, um, you know, did stuff in, um, directed a show in Mount, the music of a show in Mount Isa and uh, went over to, um, to South Australia and, and directed a parade of all the primary school kids playing drums. All they could do is one, two, three, four. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I was busy doing that. And also I got very involved. So that, that was, um, I was directing, not drumming. Often I would drum, but, and also I directed an intellectually disabled band, the same players for 25 years. Um, and that was extraordinary. That was in, in Sydney. Again, sometimes I drum and sometimes I wouldn't, but mostly not because it's about getting everyone else to do the work. And then um, I got involved with the copyright industries. So that's another story altogether. And a, a part of me absolutely loved that. I, I loved it so much that I went and got a master's in legal studies with, with the, 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 the majors being intellectual property um, while my daughter was in high school. And also, but the biggest thing I did was help to establish and develop the uh, music industry charity called Support Act. So I worked with them for 23, 24 years, um, establishing that. And now that's a massive organization. And look, for at least six, seven, eight years, I was there on my own, you know, the first four or five years, like three hours a week, five hours a week, you know, mm -hmm. seven hours a week like that. And developing the policies, developing all, everything. It was working with a board that was all music, music industry people. It was, it was hard work, but I loved it. So I wasn't thinking about the drums and, I didn't resign. I slowly started resigning from all the, from all the jobs from about, you know, um, you know, 2019, and then yeah. I, I was out of everything by April 21. Uh, but I'd already done that. Alexi Astronaut had asked me to play with her. She's a young young woman. I played with her and started getting the taste again. And then I I, I just wish I'd start left work earlier but if I had um would have had COVID and so would have been out of work that wouldn't have been good um because I had worked with support act part-time during COVID so I had money coming in um and also I've been so lucky like I've just been offered so much work since I went back on the road and it, I started, as I said, I started with this young woman, Alex, the astronaut. And um, I just, it was all touring with her and I just got such a taste for it again. And and also I, I was, I was I, we, there were some 16 Lovers Lane shows that we did with a variety of artists reproducing the album. And, and uh, I knew I was stiff, uh, you know, I mean, that goes back five years or so. And I knew I was stiff, so I knew I had to start working really hard. And I just did. I just, and then once you start working on it, you just, you can't stop. You know, some days I, I wake up and I go, I just can't, I cannot get to the room. I don't want to go to the room. But 
I make myself do it, you know, and uh, that, that, you know, that it's, that's not often that it does happen from time to time. Got no new clothes, ain't changed my hair. My beds are made, I just don't care. No new tattoos or fancy bling. I know F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, no one gets a second act in life, but he was wrong um, in, for a lot of ways. But I mean, this feels very much like a second act in your life. It feels like a part two um, and it feels like it has so much energy and it's so rejuvenating. Like, I know I'm going to say spiritually, I know that sounds kind of silly, but do you know what I mean? Like it does feel like a spiritual regeneration. Yeah, it is a spiritual regeneration. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. I, I really love playing with Rob Starsky. He's got a beautiful voice and a huge capacity to write gorgeous melodies. And also he's encouraged me to co-write with him lyrics. Obviously, I don't write melodies and that's been fun. Um, I'm not a writer, so I'll present him with an entire story um, and he'll... Um, he'll mold that to the melody. Um, and uh, there's three of those, four maybe. I, I, the last one I, I don't, I don't want to do, but he's kind of insisting. But there's like four of those, only one's been recorded. In Next week I'm going to Melbourne and we're recording our second EP. Um, so the first song that I co-wrote with him was Since I Slept With You, Everybody Wants to Sleep With Me. And um brilliant title. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'm one of those women who um 
when I had lovers, though, they were always really vulnerable, fragile men. They might might have been um, separated and not had sex for a long time, and they, or they might be men who, you know, men who just didn't know how to approach a woman. And after I'd been with them, they, they'd always drop me because they developed confidence to go on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I decided to write this song since I slept with you. Everybody wants to sleep with me. Um, so, um, oh, so I'm going to uh, Melbourne on, on um, this this time next week. We're going to record a new another EP, uh, and then we're going to do and put that out and tour on that. Oh, well, we've already booked right through to June now, and I, although I'm, I'm coming over to the UK in April to tour with the girl with the replaceable head. Oh, early May, and then we're going to do a third EP. So this is a long, very long-term plan. Then we're going to put out a greatest hits. A greatest hits after three EPs. Yeah, the yeah. world has changed, Lindy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find it amusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I want to circle back to the attraction to fragile men. Um, why do you think that you were attracted to to men that had that fragility? Because I I, I don't like buffy men, and mm. that's not to say that um, uh, uh, buffy men. I, I'm not putting buffy men down, and I I chose that word badly. I, I don't like. Men who I don't like, I find I'm attracted to men who are, are, are vulnerable and and not not having that machismo confidence. That's that's what that's what I like. I like men who are slightly, you know, they might be slightly autistic or um, they might be vulnerable. Um, you know, yeah, you, you've got the type. You know the type. You're probably the yeah. Type. There's an absence of ego, I think, is one of the common denominators. Oh, yeah. There's an absence of ego. That's right. It took me roughly 53 years to get rid of my ego. Um, where are you with that? I, I don't think I've got a massive ego. I, you know, because I'm just wondering if, if that's the, you know, the, the corresponding pattern, you know, woman having vulnerable man. But uh, I don't think I have a massive ego. But I am confident, probably to my detriment, and because I think my confidence makes me rude. But um, in relation to a woman with a massive ego, it, it, is it that she's confident? So therefore, you're attracted to the confidence and and probably successful. Is that right? No, not well. Sort of, sort of. I guess they're more mostly just uh, successful at being ill-tempered. Um, you know, just sort of. Yeah, no, not um, not across the board successful, but uh, mostly it's almost like be, um, being with a bucket with a hole in it, where you could never. Someone whose ego is that big, you can never fill the space that they need to feel. Um, comfortable with themselves it's always just you know an ego is a bottomless pit that you're just you keep feeding that fire and you don't tend to yourself so it took me 53 years to shed my ego and 53 years to stop being attracted to people with massive egos 
Does that mean you're 53? Yeah, I'm 53. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're, you're a lot younger than I am. Am I? Yeah. Oh. You don't know how old I am? I don't know how old you are. I'm 72. Is that right? Yeah. You'll laugh. I, I interviewed Steve Kilby, and he was not happy about getting older. Well, Steve Kilby, he's got a, he's not lacking in ego. <laughs> no. <laughs> so he's probably not happy with getting older. <laughs> Very cranky about getting older. Nice guy. I haven't seen him. Yeah, lovely guy. I haven't seen him recently. Um, uh, uh, I, he, he lives just down the road. So sometimes I run into him. Well, I know where he swims every morning. He swims in a pool by the sea. The sea's mm. just down down that way. Um, yeah, so I haven't seen him for a while. He's always on the road, actually, isn't he? And so am I. So uh, He doesn't stop. Are right. you near Bondi Beach or, or is that where? So it, um, he, we're, I'm at Clavelli and he's at Coogee. So going um, north, it goes Coogee, Clavelli, Bronte, Bondi Beach. So that's how it goes going north on the way to Brisbane. So you, you can walk to Bondi Beach in 45 minutes along the coast. It's a really beautiful walk. Mm. Um, uh, Coogee, I could walk down to Coogee in about 15 minutes. Oh, it's nice to live that close to the water. Oh, I, I'm, I'm just right near the water, really. I can't see it because of the curve of the road, but I'm near the water, near the sea. But you wouldn't go down to the beaches today because everybody's going to the beaches today, being Australia Day and so hot. I wouldn't be going down today. He's funny. He's um I, I really he's been on the show a couple of times. I really like him, but his crankiness is kind of adorable. Okay. I, I'm not sure I'd find his crankiness adorable, <laughs> but um <laughs> it's com it's very it's comical, I guess is the way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of those men have become curmudgeon, you know, and, uh, yeah, kind of suits them. Yeah. Have you interviewed, yeah. have you read, interviewed Ed Cooper yet? I did. All right. Wow. You've done, yeah. you've, you've done well. How did yeah. that happen? I found him to be just the loveliest guy. Yeah, he's the loveliest man. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. He, um, sweetheart and um I, someone had told me he was a bit gruff but he was he was really really nice yeah yeah he's gruff though yeah are you friends oh yeah 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 we're all friends yeah 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 i don't see him much anymore i mean i could go to his shows i have been to his shows but then i haven't um stayed to say hello which is unlike me but you know something might have been in the way but uh, again he's touring i'm touring you know, in the old days, you'd used to end up doing supports for one another, or you'd end up being on the same bill. It just doesn't happen anymore. Not on, not. So when Rob and I tour, we don't have a support. We do two sets to save money. You know, wow. yeah. So and and it works, but you know, just it's just you you're constantly thinking of how to make a profit. Because well, yeah. no, no one buys see no one buys recordings anymore, you know they really don't. The sales it, we, we we sell merch and and the CDs are part of that and we've got a store but you know people just don't buy anymore. It's not happening. 
people are streaming. Yeah, I think that, um, which is heartbreaking because I think that in, you know, selling your music was how you made a living. And now you have to kind of come up with these other ways. I mean, live shows, merch, those are good revenue streams, but the music itself sort of isn't, which is just, that just breaks my brain in half. Well, what, what we're all looking for is syncs. So a sync is where you get the song and the recording into a movie, a moving image, like an ad or a film or a TV series. And that's really well paid. So they have to pay for the um, song, which obviously I don't get anything for with the go-between because I wasn't a songwriter, but I get something for the recording. And if it's an ad, it's really good money. Um, and obviously it, the song that everybody wants to sing is Streets of Your Town. Um, we just recently had a sync, I think, for Cattle and Cane for the first time, which is extraordinary. Um, and uh, uh, so you're looking for sinks. Mm. That's how you make it, you know, and uh, well, that's hard to get. You know, so, you know, Robert and Grant have got a publisher, so their publisher is probably pushing for that, for us to get those syncs. They're, they're, they're not looking, we're um, licensed, the, we're licensed to EMI at the moment, the catalogue. I, I, I can't imagine EMI doing any work to try to get the recording synced. You know, um, what, what, what I don't ever want and has happened is when, Streets of Your Town is synced. It was synced to, to be the, the, the kind of um, signature tune for a television station called Prime. And um, they did a re-record. So I don't make anything from that. Only the songwriters do. Yeah, so that's what you hate. You don't want that. Well, obviously they do that to save money and save quite a substantial amount because they don't have to pay for the recording. I'm guessing Grant's side goes to his family. Uh, his... Well, he had a, he had a son. Um, he, he had a son that he recognised when the boy was about seventeen. Nathan, so that everything would go to Nathan. He's a beautiful man. I mm. mean, I didn't know that he. I didn't know he had a son. Yeah, well, it's because he he, he recognised him late. Um, uh, yeah, it's um. Hmm. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because I was watching Boy Swallows Universe, which is this, which takes place in in Brisbane. It's this new series on Netflix. It might not be new for you guys. I know, but... I know, I know, I know it very well. I, okay. I, know, I know. So Trent Dalton wrote that book. He's just written a, another brilliant one called something to do with Lola. Can't remember. I'll have it there, uh, but I'm not standing up. Um, uh, so, uh, but yeah, so, but I did a Facebook post where I said, why didn't they use our music? Right. Yeah. I, and I, I was so pissed off. Why didn't they use our music? Meaning, uh, and, 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 you know, obviously go betweens, but also, you know, Pig City, the song Pig City, the Saints, the, uh, Brisbane Security City, you know. Um, the, the leftovers, like bands like that, so many bands that were around at that time. And I tell you, the discussion that went on is miles long on, on my Facebook post. And some academic from QUT 
goes on, he says, what, so filmmakers have to be geo-specific now, do they? You know, they, all their music has to be geo-specific. That's ridiculous, you know? And other people say, oh, Lindy just wants Lindy's music used, you know? Like, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with wanting to make a living? You know, it's like, hello. Yeah. And anyway, most people agreed with me, and, and the, the post is brilliant because people are all putting up songs that, that should have been used. The church we used in the trailer. They used the Triffids "Wide Open Road." I heard uh, that. You know, uh, uh, they used the Divinals, great song. They, you know, not a single, not one Brisbane act. But I'll tell you why. All the acts are on Mushroom Publishing, so they would have done a deal to get, you know, a, a, a you know, some kind of commercial deal. It infuriates me that. But the one thing about his new book, Lola. Uh, it's not just Lawrence. It's so great. It's such a brilliant book, and it'll be made into a film for sure. Um, he 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 actually caught, talks about the go-betweens twice, and I think once in relation to the bridge, and once into the the the, the hero's mother is always listens to the go-betweens. So there you go. Get round that when you make your film. Just get round that one. Impossible. Yeah, <laughs> I watched it and I thought I just figured that go-betweens would be played and I finished the series and I went well that makes no sense at all now it makes sense when you put it that way and now I get it uh, yeah anyway so there you go it, it's it's been a huge discussion point uh in, here in Australia on my Facebook page and then a writer Andrew Stafford who wrote the book Big City um he uh he, he then wrote an article on it he did attribute me for starting the discussion which I was very pleased to see because I'm very big on attribution, and um, and and started another discussion. Yeah, geo-specific music. That's a term I'd never heard. What directors have to be, you know, you would have thought that I wanted to hang the director. No, I was just interested in why local music wasn't used when local music talks to the town. Well, to me, it seemed like if you were doing a a a film that took place in San Francisco in the late 60s and you didn't play the Grateful Dead and you and you played some LA band instead like that just seems like irresponsible you know and inaccurate <laughs> inaccurate good good term right yeah very good term yeah. yeah I loved the series I loved it and I, I thought it was marvelous and I thought the choices of music were all good of course but the omission is what got me that the, the fact that you guys are omitted um and other bands were included that's what you know i didn't have a problem with yeah, what yeah. was there yeah yeah right. yeah exactly exactly so it got distracting lindy at a point i was i was getting i was like where are they it got What's distracting happening? for me exactly what happened to me i was going well i knew that we weren't in there because they have to contact us for permission and i knew there'd never been any permission granted you know so yeah so if they're going to use the recording, they have to write to me and, and say, can we use the recording in this uh, in this situation? In the, you know, they send you the the script and how how it fits in, because you know you might want um, say there was a movie where a man's having sex with a pig. You may not want your music used in that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. What about the new music? Is any syncs with the new stuff for you? Uh, you mean uh, Rob Snarsky? The Snarsky? No, 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 nothing yet. It's too soon. We've only recorded one EP. Yeah. yeah. 
so um, I, I would think, though, I would think that since I slept with you, everybody wants to sleep with me, could well be a sink. That, seemed, that, would, that seems to, that would easily go into a movie. <laughs> yeah, and some music supervisor, who is this band? Well, they already have a Greatest Hits album, so they must be good. <laughs> <laughs> I must have missed their other uh, 10 albums. <laughs> it's cynical, <laughs> but effective. <laughs> I think it's really, I think it's really smart, actually. Um, I've got to live, though, you know, so that, that from 72 now, the next EP will come out in April, hopefully, then we have to record another one. That's always like, it's a big deal to record it, getting the band together and getting them to rehearse and everything. That won't happen until November. Then we have to put that out and tour on that. So I don't think it's going to happen until maybe November next year. You know, I'll be... Um, 74. <laughs> I love your your attitude of like, why stop? Let's just keep going, keep pushing, keep discovering new things about music and your relationship to it. I think that's really cool. Good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, what am I going to do? Like, I just, uh, you know, to stop would just must be the most, what would I do with my time? It's just such a gift that I've got this, you know, I, such a gift to, to be able to you know you actually see improvement you actually see it that's it's it's so slow you can't believe how slow it is you know um so i i, I was watching this guy called, he's american his name's tommy ego i-g-o-e he is he does this thing he does rudiments and it, he, he puts out all these rudiment things so i bought his thing and it really changed everything. It was about two years ago. And I was working with um, Jeffrey Wagner during COVID. You know, Jeffrey Wagner the drummer in the laughing, was the drummer in the Laughing Clowns. Mm. And, and um, so during COVID, you're allowed to have a buddy. So you could go and visit someone. And uh, so I went and used to visit him once a week. I'd drive up to where he was and we'd sit and do rudiments for an hour or 90 minutes based on this Tommy Ego program and that's what really really got my chops going a lot better and then um i, st I not I, only some of them only the singles and double variations really i started then putting them on the kit after covid was over and i could start going back on the kit um i started putting those on on the kit and uh and that, yeah so i was kind of inspired by this american guy he, he lives in la uh he's he's because you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, fabulous place. Yeah. The, 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 um, the, 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 the worst gig I ever did in my life um, was in Berkeley. Oh, um, no. Yeah, yeah. And Jonathan Leatham, do you know him? The writer? Sure, the writer, yeah. Do you know him? I don't know him. I knew he was a massive fan of the go-betweens. And we, we've been pretty adjacent over the last few, last 20 years or so. We know the same people, but I don't know him. Well, I'd love to make contact with him because he was at that gig and wrote a story on it, which is in a book. You know, it's in a book. Like, I've got the book here. I can, I could say, he happened to be there as a kid and he wrote a story at the time, but I didn't discover that story for a long time. Anyway, I was blind drunk, absolutely blind drunk. And he talks about, yeah, because I'd been having martinis in San Francisco with people who then drove me to Berkeley. 
And I, I'd never had gin martinis like that. I got smashed. The band was so fucking furious. But Jonathan Leatham talks about the whole thing. He, he discusses it. It's so brilliant, um, the piece. I, could, I, I, I actually uh, have it. I actually scanned it at some stage so I could send it to you. It's really I'd love to cool. see it. Does he, did he love the gig? Did he love the gig? Well, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, the band were furious with me, and then he said, I, you know, I, I, I walked to the bar and got myself something, and then swaggered past and 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 swiveled my hips. It, it butted his him in a really sexual way, which, you know, I'm having trouble believing because I, I, I've always been rather chummy rather than sexual. <laughs> and um and and uh and and he said it, it his last line was it was incredible something like it was incredible just to see how you know a smashed woman could be so so sexual you know yeah I mean but he describes the unhappiness of the band and he describes his love of the band and he describes it's just it's a riveting piece it's just great. Anyway, if you're ever to meet him, if you ever get his contact, would you let me know? Because I've always wanted to write to him. And then he came out to Australia for a book thing and I didn't know. I only found out after he left and that was unfortunate because I would have gone and met him. But yeah, because it's such a great piece. Where in Berkeley would that have been? Um, it was a club. It was a club. Yeah, he, he names it. And it was probably like 85? Um, no, it has to be later because Amanda was in the band. Might have been 87. 87. I wonder if it was the Berkeley Square. That seems like it would have been too small for you. No, no, I think it was the Berkeley Square. Berkeley Square. Yeah. yeah. Great little club. Tiny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he said there was only like 15 people there or something you know or maybe 50 i don't know he, he names not he actually names how many people were in the venue he, he gives the number of how many people were in the venue yeah this <laughs> is all very, ringing a bell very specific <laughs> yeah because the the berkeley square was this little club on university avenue down from the college and in 87, I saw Soundgarden play there. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. The go-betweens would have played there too. I mean, because Soundgarden wasn't known yet. Um, but a lot of really brilliant bands passed through. Um, that would have been the venue. Um, anyway, it's it. what a treat to have seen that show. Drunk or not, it must have been cool. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I, I, I'll definitely send it to you. We're gonna I'd have, love to read it. going to have to I, do it email anyway because you're going to send me the visuals from this sure i'll happily send that to you and yes. the, i think the joke was that all 15 people in that gig were probably all music critics <laughs> <laughs> right. but the one the line that people have said for years is if a bomb had gone off that night there would have been no more music critics from the bay area <laughs> That's great. But yeah, you know what I always said, I've always said, you know, the one night I really fuck up because I was good, you know, I was really good not to fuck up. The one night I fuck up, you know, 
Jonathan Leatham's in the audience. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's extraordinary luck in a way, you know? Because right. it's such a great piece. It's such a fantastic piece of writing. <laughs> I don't think we have support. Maybe not. Yeah, I, I don't think so. God, they were, the band were furious. They really? Didn't, they didn't talk to me for weeks. You know, those kind of bitter, bitter, bitter uh, things that would happen on the road. Was that the last time you were in San Francisco? Or did you did you guys come? You must have come back. In that on that last um, eighty, the the, the um, well, we were playing with REM. Where did we play with them on the East Coast? Did we play with them in LA? I can't remember because we remember we were touring with them, but we we're also doing side shows um, for for Sixteen Lovers Lane. We I don't know if we came back though. I'd have to look at the, um, well, I'd have to ask on Facebook. We have really dedicated um, historians on Facebook who know everything. They, they're always reminding me of everything. I never know anything. I always, whenever I have a question, I just go to them. There's a site called Right Here, The Go Betweens. Do you ever see the documentary? Right oh, yeah. Here? All right. Yeah. Wow. Gee, you're good. You're the coolest, Lindy. I'm so happy we did this. Oh, I, I'm not cool. I'm very you are cool. <laughs> you're cool. Thanks. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course you're cool. Um, I'm so pleased that you that you were up for this, and I'm I'm so grateful for your time. And just thank you for chatting with me. Yeah, yeah. No, I've really enjoyed meeting you. I I, I mean, I, I do uh, love talking with um, uh, intelligent Americans. You know, we we've got a lot in common. It's so easy, it really is. she's cool. It's Lindy Morrison. I enjoyed that conversation very much. She's the best, and her body of work is expansive and extraordinary. So do search it out. Maybe the best thing for you to do, there's a lot of it out there, is to, um, you know, get the new stuff and work your way backwards. Robsnarski.bandcamp.com. R-O-B-S-N-A-R-S-K-I.bandcamp.com. Start with the Snarsky Circus Lindy Band and work your way backwards. You will not be sorry. So there you go. There's my chat with Lindy Morrison. She's busy. She's going to keep going and, uh, and keep producing really terrific work. So you can find me on what's left of Twitter. Is it X? Is it Twitter? Is it X Twitter? I have no idea. But I do know for sure it's at Ember's Editor. That's where you can find me on that platform or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. Don't forget to check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. I think that's it for today. In terms of businessy items, 
Let's get back to the music. Full listen right here to Shane O'Mara, War Mascara, by the Snarsky Circus Lindy Band. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Shane O'Mara, War Mascara. Theater Royal, Castle Maine. He surrendered to Lindy's eye, poking pencil, belly aching all the way. Ziggy Stardust, Mark Bolin, no one really cared. Someone said that someone said that someone said We're all not binary in a way A tall tree stood outside the band room It was flowering in full bloom So 
someone said that someone said We're on that binary way Then someone said that someone said that someone said